0: Welcome to part two of the Matthew Landers podcast series. As I mentioned at the start of part one, I am Nikki Christensen, and I had the fortune of sitting down with Matthew in March and getting the opportunity to pick his brain. In this episode, Matthew shares how after a two-year sabbatical, he came to the realization that he had to create the brand Matthew Landers. Matthew also delves into his social media strategy, how he manages his Instagram, what it looks like during the day, but he also pushes into the granular of customer experience of the things that he does to keep his team motivated and energized. He also then touches on the points of why florists really are not in the same market as chain stores and if you think you are you're losing the battle before you're getting out of bed. Strap yourselves in, sit down, get a piece of paper, grab your pen, tell your staff not to disturb you, put your phone on silent. This is a cracker of an episode and you're not going to want to miss anything that Matthew shares with us.
1: The following audio recording is intended for business people. It contains mature concepts and adult themes and language. It is not recommended for children. Hi there! Are you already successful in business? Past the startup and into phase two? Already have regular clients and not worried about revenues? Maybe other things worry you, like what's the medium to long term future? Which is the shortest way forward that translates to money? Or do you wish you had help with business strategy, innovation, or future proofing? If you're interested in spending some time with a business person who has executed and implemented almost all of the things you're about to hear, resulting in annual company revenue of $7.2 million a year, then you can. Relax your mind. Your ears are on the right Business Fits podcast. Get comfortable and please create an environment for success for yourself and turn off any distractions. Welcome to the Business Fits podcast by Nikki Christensen.
0: I'm Nikki Christensen and my guest today is Matthew Landers. Matthew, let's talk about Instagram. But I'm interested in a certain aspect of this um, and it's all related to your sense of brand and yourself. I see that you went overseas in 2010. You yep. spent two years overseas yep. and you came back, mm-hmm. came back to Australia. You did. You've got such a sense of what you're about and about your brand. Where was that developed? Was that developed because you left the shores of Australia and you went to into the big wide world? I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but yeah. explain to me the journey and did the overseas stint have anything to do with it?
2: I think when I, so basically I had two years off. Right so when my mother and I sold our partnership business in late 2009 I decided that it was time to have a couple of years to myself to have that time that I didn't have when I was 17 18 19 to go away and backpack and not that I was ever going to be a backpacker but you know like to have that time Glamping. To, yeah to do to do my own thing And the first, I set my goals high. The first thing I wanted to do was I wanted to go to Europe and I wanted to hit the top. I wanted to go and I wanted to work with luxury brands and I wanted to um, immerse myself in true luxury. So a life that I was certainly not born into, you know. So um, for me, it was important to look at big brands and how seriously they take their brand. So the biggest thing for me was uh, more of like an observation in going in and seeing what more so in fashion as well is what were the um, hot topics and how were they relaying the hot topics? How could a trend that's um, becoming viral by social media, how could that be twisted and turned so quickly into another brand's success? So um,
0: even back then in 2010. Yeah, very
2: much so because 2010 was like a big turning point because that was when, you know, Facebook just sort of started to elevate, you know, and it was becoming really popular and things like Instagram and stuff like that were kind of new, you know, like it was, it was new, um, ground Tumblr, Twitter, all of that. So I kind of explored myself about how could social media impact my future and how also could social media impact a brand's future. So I naturally was watching all of these huge brands with huge budgets and um, how they were harnessing social media and how could I possibly apply this into floristry. Because floristry is such a low brow, tiny speck dot on the broad spectrum of what's visible world. And if you look now in 2018, you can open up Instagram and you could almost find flowers or floristry very, you know, um, organically without even having to search for it. It's something that now pops up, you know, in, um, in your feed and things like that. So
0: you're saying flowers are more cool now.
2: I don't, know if the, so that's simplistic. I don't know if the word's more cool. I think flowers accessible? now are more accessible. I think accessible is a good word. Yeah. And I think social media has allowed so many artisans, mm-hmm. not just florists, but so many artisans to actually showcase their talent, showcase their um, product. And it's such an instant, viral, worldwide thing. So, you know, the this florist that I might have known in Norway 10 years ago because I saw them in a magazine or something like that, I can actually now look at what they're doing every single day. And, you know, 15 years ago, I would have craved for a book to be released or for a magazine to be released so I could see one page of three images of something that they've done. Now I can follow all of their Instagram posts. I can follow their stories. I feel like I've been into their home. I, You know, it's become so much more personable, I think, and it's allowed so many people that were perhaps before unreachable to be within fingertips reach.
0: Yeah. It's like you're immersed into it.
2: A hundred percent. And I have spoken to, like I've had businesses, brands, celebrities approach me and vice versa that I never would have dreamed that I would have actually had contact with, you know, within a fingertip, you know. Um, just yesterday I had a huge Australian brand respond to an Insta story and their words were more please we crave your Insta stories and I was shocked I was like oh my goodness like this shop that I love going into in Melbourne it's a um, a super super high end store and I just I, just the thought of the fact that they're standing in their back room watching me is mental it's crazy you know It's crazy. so it's it's Amazing how far your how widespread your reach can be without even knowing it. But the the thing that I acknowledge is that I know how widespread my reach is. And it's important to acknowledge your reach because without that knowledge of how how quickly exactly the same as what I'm doing here in Brisbane today, like the tickets sold out so quickly. Thirty
0: six hours, I think, completely gone.
2: Crazy. So something like that is social reach. You know, it's, a, it, it's combined social reach of your brand and my brand. And to be able to do something like that so quickly is just such a testament to the people that are following you, are engaged, and they want to be part of you so desperately. And I think so many florists especially need to take that on board, that they need to engage their customers the people that already love them not the people that it's not necessarily all about the people that they're trying to target or trying to reach it's more about the people that already love them the customers that already come in regularly how can they reach those customers because then those customers are going to then spruik that business to a, a wider audience
0: so let me ask you, because if uh, for the sake of uh, a suburban florist, if you like, listening to this podcast mm-hmm. and they're going, but Matthew, you know, I'm not flamboyant. I'm not outgoing. Uh, I've actually got a picture of one of my customers in mind when I, when I asked this question. Mm-hmm. So you're saying they've already got an audience, yep. their, their current customer base. Mm-hmm. So really, they if it's sh- just hundred followers. So they should just still be able to put themselves through social to that group of people with no mm-hmm. other, no other uh, target in mind, or you're just speaking to that group of people. Yes. And that's their start. I'm just that's so many the, people don't start, start because they don't know where to start.
2: That's very much the start because what is something that we as human beings engage with? It's vulnerability. Yeah. So the second that you turn the camera around onto yourself, you are becoming a vulnerable person. You are opening up yourself for criticism, you are opening up yourself for a whole range of emotions that we as human beings don't like to receive. So people engage with that. People go, wow, this person has taken a risk by showing me their life or showing me what they're doing today and things like that. I had lunch last week in Sydney with a, a very talented and very high end florist who we sat at lunch and he said to me, this is the first time I've ever put the camera on me. Absolutely. And I was like, I was like, why? How? You're so talented and you're so... It's are really just fearful. What's yeah. Going on, right? And I said, and that was exactly, I said exactly what I just said to him. I said, you know, it's so important that we're vulnerable mm-hmm. to our audience because then they see that we're just real. We're just real people and real humans. And so many creative people in a wide range of industries suffer from anxiety, mental illness, all sorts of things. And their creative outlet is actually their only way of in- expression. They may actually be completely introverted. So it's so important. For people to see you and I feel that the reason I started doing insta stories and things like that is because people had a perception of what I was like or people had a perception of what I could do because they would see a, a, a very dominant brand especially in Perth In Perth, they would see a very, very strong dominant brand and and a strong person.
0: Intimidation for most people. Intimidation.
2: Yeah, 100%. And I identified with that and I said, right, we have to change this because this is not what I really like. People don't understand that. You didn't like that. I didn't like that. You cared how you were perceived. I truly did care. And you know, I would walk into the flower markets and it was like a a parting of the waters. People Mm -hmm. would like literally run because they would... That it would be an intimidation. And know? they wouldn't know you. They wouldn't know me. Never. You've never me, spoke to them. Never spoke to them. They have no idea what you're about. No idea. None. Zero. So. That's success, isn't it? The it is. is before it, of course, p- course it is. But it's just. The relationship. The biggest thing for me was like by turning the camera around onto myself. And just being myself. People were able to understand and really see. Oh, he's actually just completely Because you're a normal. joker. Like, of you're, course. You're, you're a I complete love, I love taking the piss. I love people taking the piss out of me. I love Practical jokes, I love pranks. Because you've like,
0: been giving it to Brisbane the whole time, I and you're like, know, put
2: some thought put some shoes, put some on, your shoes on your scrubber. Yeah, and it's really like, Now, People can get really offended about that. A hundred percent. But the thing is, it's like I always think about this. It's like art, right? And it has to be treated objectively because. You know you can walk into an art gallery and there could be a woman standing at an artwork that's weeping because she's so moved by a piece of art and i could walk past it and be like that's putrid <laughs> and I, it just literally is some paint slapped on a canvas. perception perception yep. so um also without um without negativity you won't have positivity and i think sometimes even if somebody's offended by something that i've said or they go oh i shouldn't have said that it's just it's evoked that in them and it's like a car accident you don't want to look but you can't help but slow down and look and those people that have been offended by me they still keep coming back and they still keep watching because they're waiting to be offended again
0: it's like the hot stove don't touch isn't it it's 100% like cool. yeah I'd love to talk to you about Instagram mm-hmm. and just touching back on that question I asked earlier about the, the time spent overseas yeah. where did you get this sense of I'm going to create a high end brand because until you did it I don't, I can't remember the last designer that really went out and deliberately, because to me, you look deliberate. You look like, mm. to me, it looks like your actions are deliberate. Very deliberate. Where did that come from?
2: Because something i learned, being in Paris for a long period of time, people are so desperate in life to be able to afford something expensive. And sometimes your biggest customers are in fact, not the super wealthy or the rich It's in fact the middle people that would rather save for three months to go in and have that experience of buying, even if it's just a coin purse from Louis Vuitton or Hermes or Givenchy, you know, and walking into a store and having that true luxury brand experience, no matter what you can afford, you still receive the same experience. Like if I went into Hermes, no matter whether I was buying a a diary refill or a Birkin you would get the same experience and the same treatment and it was so important to me in business when I came you know back to Australia in 2011 and then I decided in 2012 to open my own name brand of business it was so important to me that I delivered that high-end experience because I saw the gap in the market as being floristry is such a luxury experience because it's a non-essential item. You do not need flowers to survive. Mm. Also doubling from that, you have two people getting an experience. You have the customer and also the recipient. So you're actually doubling your reach because you have the the recipient that's receiving a luxury gift and you've got the um, the customer or the client that's actually ordered mm. Or taken the gift and they're going to give it to them. So you've potentially got two people that you can impress and wow with your luxury brand rather than just going and purchasing a, you know, a designer handbag. So for me, it was so important to, to try and bridge that gap in the hope that it would perhaps elevate the industry in Perth more so because Perth is a very wealthy city in Australia and people were desperately seeking that, somewhere to spend their money
0: most amount of billionaires in australia yeah right? in perth yeah
2: and for a long time in 2012 and 13 the louis vuitton store in perth was the busiest in australia financially which is blows my mind because it's one of the smallest stores yeah and wow i saw that gap in the market and i thought you know what we have a luxury industry in floristry and why can't we place that alongside those stores? Why can't we have a florist that looks like a designer handbag store that's in the midst of like Louis Vuitton and Tiffany and Bally and, and you know, things like that. Why can't that store be there representing this product as a luxury product, which is what it is. So that was my goal to stand alongside those stores with a dominant luxury brand that people look at and acknowledge. And also go, yes, this brand fits in amongst these stores. So that was my goal when I came back and it's taken years, you know, it's taken several years to, it's only now in the last maybe 18 months that the brand is truly finding its feet in terms of reaching that super high end, um, position in the marketing Perth, because I had to the brand. I didn't have to prove the brand had to prove that it belonged there, the same as all of those brands that I've just mentioned would have as well in the past. You know, this handbag like Goyard, for instance. You know, you can only buy Goyard handbags there in their boutique, and it's the same with me. It's like, well, you can't buy my flowers in a supermarket, so
0: you can't buy Goyard
2: in Amazon. Exactly right. You know, Mm -hmm. so it was like I need to make sure that. In order to have that market share at that super high end top bracket, I needed to make sure that people were receiving that experience. So it was about creating that and having, you know, I could talk about brand for hours and how to build that, but it's like, um, making sure that you are not to, to copy a luxury brand, but on par or parallel. How can you make yourself as parallel as possible or as on par as possible? taking inspiration from different things like luxury jewelry and watches and handbags and things that people are willing to part with huge amounts of money for. What are they looking to gain from that? Because you can go and buy a Longines watch for $25,000, but I could probably go and buy a, um, a TAG watch for $5,000 and it's going to be the exact same thing, going to last the exact same amount of time. They're both Swiss timepieces. What What's in people's mind? Is it a status symbol that they desperately want a Longines watch? Or is it simply for the fact that they want to be able to show off their wealth? Is it because it might take them longer to actually save the money to achieve the goal of being able to make that purchase? What is it? So I had to...
0: That's very specific to each human. Yeah, and it's,
2: it, it is. it is broad sets. It's but It still
0: filters down to being what turns you... Turns you on is a bad word, but what, drives, what you, drives you, what drives me. We're yeah. going to be different. But there are some basic
2: similarities, yeah. right? Of course. And it's about, you know, if you think about the movie The Devil Wears Prada, there's a, there's a little scene in the there. That re- it really movie rings your true to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a scene in there that r- remains really true to me and my brand. It's when she talks about the, um, all this stuff just looks the same to me. And Miranda Preece says, this stuff, this is not blue, it's not turquoise, it's actually cerulean. You know, and she's specific about this colour. And then she goes, this sweater is, you know, something that was done three years ago by a high-end designer. And you've probably fished it out of some department store sale bin. And it's the same with flowers. Do you want to come and do you want to buy Matthew Landers flowers? Or do you want to fish some dead bouquet out of a supermarket sale bin? That's how I kind of think about it. It's like, mm-hmm. you make the choice. So the customer has the choice. The choice and yeah. what
0: drives them exactly. to make that choice. Yeah. It's the same thing when you stand and look at, like a, you're in a Westfield and you look at a florist next door to one of the supermarkets mm-hmm. and the florist is trying to sell a pot of fallies for $75 in a ceramic. And our friends at the chainsaws, what, 24.95 standard every day of the week price. And I quite often get florists ask me the question and go, I don't know how to compete. <laughs>
2: This is something that I'm so passionate about because, for instance, I've had a shop in a shopping centre. So one of the shops that my mother and I had was a kiosk in a big kiosk in the middle of a super wealthy shopping centre, and Coles was 50 metres if that away, and they had a big, a big selection of flowers, as did Woolworths at the other end. They were never our competition at all because if uh, if a supermarket is selling a $24 phalaenopsis in a pot. I wouldn't have just had a single pot of Phalaenopsis there for 79 I would have had a bowl of 15 pots of Phalaenopsis there for $650. So that you are worlds apart. Because we used to sell pots of $660 Phalaenopsis weekly.
0: It. And you'd sell it?
2: Yes, constantly. Because you, we weren't identifying as trying to compete. We were identifying as offering a, a completely different product. We weren't. You know, why would we sell bunches of Orientals for $15 when they're selling them for $9? I wouldn't, I'd be mad. So I'm better off to sell two bunches of Orientals for $30 all wrapped together so that your price point is so different. And also the visual is so different. Yes, it's a higher price point, but it also appears like you're getting a whole lot more because you are. Up. Mm. So I would never, in terms of price, I was never at all competitive with price. I was more competitive about making sure that this was supermarket level and we were florist level. Not super high-end or anything like that, just florist level. And the biggest thing that annoys me about people in this industry, or business owners I should say in the floral industry, is they say, oh, that'll never sell in my shop. How many times have you had it for sale in your shop? That's my, always my answer because have you got a $650 bowl of 15 Phalaenopsis in your window? available for sale. No, you don't. Period. So how would you know? How would you know? And like demonstrations, I've done demonstrations all across Australia, um, and especially years ago when I was very much, uh, you know, a, a golden child of Interflora, you know, and doing Interflora demos and displaying their products and things like that and how to perhaps enhance things. And people would just be like, it wouldn't sell it in my shop. And it's like, but it's so frustrating because how, how would you know? Mm. Or people would buy things at the end of a demonstration or they'd be win it in a raffle or something like that. And they'd take it back to their shop and put it on display. And then I'd get an email a week later being like, oh my gosh, you never believe how many people commented on that arrangement you made. And it's like, well, why haven't you made another dozen of them and put $150 on it?
0: You're very open in saying anyone can do what I do. Very much. You said that probably six times mm-hmm. in the last two days I've been around you. Yeah. To? You, f- you firmly, you, you, I would, you question why don't more people copy what you're doing, right? And just take that step and just try things. Mm. What do you think stops people? Are they looking at it the wrong way? They don't understand the point of differentiation. I've been that person
2: as well. You know, like I've been that person that's had that mentality of this is what a florist shop looks like. You have a relay. You do this. You do that. This is what it looks like. I had to go and I had to look at other brands and how I wanted to relate to a market share in order to actually be able to take risks. A lot of florists, like I'm guarantee that eight out of ten florists in Australia wouldn't have any more than a thousand dollars in their trading account, period. They're almost insolvent. So yep. how are those businesses going to want to take a risk? I I think that it comes more from a fear of loss, a fear of you know not wanting to take risk. But the thing is people always say, you know, no one likes change. No one, a lot of people don't like change. I don't like a lot of change either. Yeah, same. But brands as such, if you look at luxury brands, you know, like for instance, um, Louis Vuitton has just had a new creative director. So Kim Jones is no longer the creative director of menswear. They're going to have a new creative director, which means that everything's going to look different. That's a huge risk for a company. But without doing that, like Mark Jacobs, when he was the creative director of Louis Vuitton, changed and saved Louis Vuitton, period. So how are you going to apply that to your floristry business? You need to change and save your business. You need to go from the outside and look in, what does the customer see? Okay, the customer sees a lime green shop and all you sell is olive green ceramics and it's all crap. And the vases that you've got on display are dirty, unwashed, you know, and things like that. Like, why would people want to come in and, it's not about purchasing. It's about why would customers want to come in and actually identify that this is a florist shop. A florist shop should be something that people walk into and it looks so much better and more impressive than supermarket and so much better and more impressive than other you know, flower sellers as such. But I just don't see other florists putting in that effort that's actually required in order for a um, shop front, like a bricks and mortar store to actually look so different from that perception. You should be walking into a florist shop and you should want to have an experience. I can name five florist shops around Australia that you walk into and you're like, wow, this is beautiful. You know, like there's everything's got a a place and everything's clean and orderly and it looks really lovely. It's really well presented. Exactly the same as a Gucci store would be. You walk in, you can see the product. It's clean. It's unmarked. It's beautiful and it's ready to be sold
0: that's branding right it's
2: branding and that's the thing it's because these brands take their brand seriously it's like my brand my shop I take it seriously and I I get angry when my staff don't take it as seriously as I do and I the first thing I do is when I walk in I never come through the back door I always come through the front door because I want to see what a customer sees it's interesting my first thing I do so I ne- I park at the back of the store and then I come around the side of the building and then I walk through the front door so I my first impression of my shop is the first impression that a customer has so the first thing I'll do honestly is put my handbag down and I'll be like right we need to change this we need to do this we need to do this but I'm not just coming in and taking over and changing I'm saying to the girls why is this like this or you know things like that because it's constantly getting better and it's constantly getting closer to how I would do it
0: and you're training them what you want
2: Exactly, because they need to see it through my eyes in order to be able to identify what is acceptable for the brand because I am the creator of the content. So I need to make sure that they see what I see and they see how seriously I take what I see. So it's important to it's not it's not about a mistake or anything like that. It's about, you know, developing your team to make sure that they understand and that they don't just come in every day and then go home at five o'clock. They come in and they're desperate to be like, I want to make this shop look so beautiful and I want everybody that comes in to have a beautiful experience. And yeah, that's, but yes, I, I still don't believe that there's anything that I'm doing that other people can't do. I mean, obviously, there's going to be a lot of people that I'm smarter than. There's going to be people that I am more, more risk averse. You know, like where I'm, I'm not afraid to take well, a you're risk. You at the risk. It's the day. me, you know. It is me. Like there's, there's differences, of course, but in terms, yes, okay, I'm a competent florist, but there is so many competent, wonderful florists in Australia that have woeful shops, terrible social media, and it's like, why can't you just elevate yourself and? you know, show people how good you are. Like it breaks my heart when I see people that are such good, talented florists and you wouldn't know it. You truly would not know it by walking into their shop. You wouldn't actually know what they're capable of. So there was a a florist shop in Perth that I used to compete against the actual florists when I was really competitive and it would be either me or one of them that would win as such Mm -hmm. the competition. Their shop, even now, they have two shops in Perth, and their shops are terrible. Terrible. Do not know how art in business terrible. And it's just so eye-opening to see that the florists that, it, that that shop actually produces as such are such good florists, so competent, such outstanding florists that constantly still win competitions. And But the shop doesn't reflect it. And it's like your shop could be... They could both be million dollar shops within a year if you actually allowed the florists to work. So yeah. But I could go on about this. No, no it's all great day. stuff.
0: Because you've hit on a very important point, C Pole right? mm-hmm. Customer point of view. And I wonder how many people actually stop and remember. I know we all talk about the customer as though we're there to serve them, which we are. Mm-hmm. But how many people actually stop and go, This is what they're seeing, this mm-hmm. is how the interaction's going. Mm-hmm. It just, it reminds me when I pull up and I'm in a factory, as you know, we're a wholesale business. And when the bins are left out on the footpath after they've been emptied, I'm actually pissed off before I walk in the front door. Mm -hmm. Because if that's the first thing a customer picking up sees is a JJ Richards wheelie bin, Mm -hmm. they're thinking trash. Mm -hmm. So I sort of relate to that and I go see pov from the front door. I I loved when you said I park at the back and I walk around the front. It makes so much sense.
2: It does because I have to see what the customer sees. It's no different to, you know, so many creative people, especially florists don't have somebody that regularly checks or answers their emails. This is so important in 2018 because the emails now are as important as a phone call or someone walking in your front door. It's business coming in to your, to your inbox. Yeah. And you know, I know florists that I've contacted they haven't come back for two days, three days, four days, if at all, to respond. And you know, when they do, it's just some, it looks like they've sent a text message rather than an email. And it's like, people don't understand that this is your business. This is how people see you and view you. And this is how now people contact. Like years ago, if you had a florist shop where the phone rung constantly with people ordering, that was the key to success, you had a a shop where the phone rang, you know, and you had people constantly ordering all day. Mm -hmm. Well, now I have a shop where the phone rings, the door opens and the email buzzes all day. And that's, I look at that as equally important. If the phone rings, what do we do? We drop, we answer, we take the order, we hang up. If the email buzzes, what do you do? You stop, you look, does it need responding to? No. Does it need responding to? Absolutely. Things like that. Customer opens the front door. What do you do? You drop, you go and you look at the customer and you help Hello. them. Hello, you help them. So that's a big point as well. And I also, I build into my day time for social media because it's equally as important as the phone ringing, the, the door buzzing or the email. How much time,
0: time do you spend on social a day?
2: I would say half an hour, realistically. That's it? Yeah. Yeah. You've got I that down say, to a fine art. Yeah, I would say half an hour. Like we put up... Um, We post an actual picture, like content once a week, um, because I don't want to oversaturate with content. That's just me personally. And I would much rather be posting content where people are craving the content. People want to see your name pop up and they want to see what you've posted. In terms of Insta stories, it's very much an organic flow of what's happening in our day. I may go for two days without posting something. If I'm busy or, you know, like at the end of the day, the business or me, my personal life comes first. If we have time, we'll post. But the reality is, Insta stories are 15 seconds. Even if you have to do two outtakes, it's still 45 seconds. So if you're doing five a day, it's five minutes tops. So really- So there's no excuse. People say, I
0: haven't got time. You do have time. They're looking at it the wrong way.
2: Yeah. Do you smoke? Have you got time to go out and have a cigarette? Do you eat? Have you got time to stop and have lunch? We all make time for things. This is simply just another element of the business. If the phone rang, you would stop and you pick up the phone, and take the order. It's the same thing. Your social media is no different. You need to stop and you need to pick up the phone and you need to post something to engage your audience. Just my point of view.
0: And that was part two of the Matthew Landers series where Matthew outlined how he achieved Instagram success and also the benefits of taking a two year sabbatical had on him back in 2009 remember the Matthew Landers brand only started in 2012 which is only six odd years ago and already that brand is becoming recognized worldwide part three I asked Matthew if you're a florist starting out and wanting to emulate how you did it what should they do and what things should they go about doing check in to episode three if you're interested on how to build your global flower brand
1: That was another session with Nikki Christensen and the Business Bits podcast. In case you were wondering, it's called Business Bits by Nikki Christensen because it's business served up in bits. Take away what you want and leave behind the bits you don't. The key is implement what you've learned straight away. If you want more, go to nikki Christensen.com. It's also where you can get your limited edition Nikki Christensen wristbands. So until next time, remember what Nikki always says, version one is better than version none.